Uh, today we are concluding our fall sermon series on following Jesus. Uh, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first nine verses. We've been there for a couple of weeks. We're going to wrap up there today before, it's hard to believe, but a week, uh, two weeks from today, we'll be starting uh, our Advent series. So we're going to finish up this morning with the notion of what it means to follow Jesus into gracious generosity. So question for you as we uh, start off this morning. When you think of the word excellence, okay, think of the word excellence, what comes to mind? Could be you say, oh, my, my, uh, my grades, I'm a wonderful student, I'm an excellent student, I get straight A's. I would have only been able to say that once in my life, uh, so that wouldn't be where my mind would go. You might say, our company is really an excellent company, or our marriage is an excellent marriage. What comes to mind when you think of the word excellence? The work, there you go. The, uh, the, the glory of that word is powerful and it's strong, uh, but sometimes we can make it seem less than it ought to be. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus reminds us that the goal is following him. The disciple is not above the teacher. Everyone, when fully trained, will be like the teacher. That's, that's our goal. The question is, is Jesus really the excellent one that we ought to be following when it comes to the question of generosity. So that's what we want to explore this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 8, the first nine verses. Hear the word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we pray this morning uh, that you would open our, our minds and our thoughts, that you would help us to, to worship you with our intellect as we grapple with this question of gracious generosity and what it means to follow Jesus in that context. Father, we can get a little on edge when we begin to talk about money, when we begin to talk about resources, and so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit and your word would lead us this morning, would teach us. Otherwise, we're just here listening to my opinion, which is no uh, more important than any other person's opinion. We hear that all week long. Father, we, we don't need the world's advice on money. <laughs> we need your direction. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word to lead us into the pathway of life. And it is that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and understand today. I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So our sermon in a sentence this morning is a question. What would it mean for Green Tree Community Church to excel in gracious generosity? Hopefully, when you think of excellence, the first thing that didn't pop into your mind was uh, Bill and Ted's adventure. Hoping we're thinking just a little bit deeper than that today. But just to be, one of the tech guys went to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Good. You're, you're as bad off as I am. That was like the second thing I thought of. Um, so just to make sure that we're all working with the same definition, I went to Webster's Dictionary. I looked up the word excel, and this is the definition we're going to use this morning. To be exceptionally good at or proficient in an activity or subject. So what would it mean for Green Tree Community Church to be exceptionally good at or proficient in gracious generosity? Now, when you look at it in those terms, you think about excellence, uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of catchy phrases that are out there when it comes to excellence. So I found a few this week just for kind of get the, the juices flowing a little bit in our minds this morning. So seek excellence, find success. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Uh, some coaches or some uh, uh, CEOs of companies might say, we demand excellence around here. Others, when it, when it happens and things go really well, say, we're going to celebrate excellence. And still others say, well, I don't know if you can ever quite get there, but we're always going to be striving for excellence. So that may have, some of those phrases may be familiar to you, but probably the best way to think about excellence is people that have excelled in their chosen field. So you have Warren Buffett, you have Taylor Swift, you've got LeBron James, uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey from East St. Louis was voted by Sports Illustrated a few years ago as the best female athlete ever, not of her generation, but ever. I would say that's excellent. Obviously, Abraham Lincoln. Anybody know who that guy is over in the left-hand lower corner? Nobody? Uh-oh. A little louder. Nope. Nope. Yes. Who said it? Cookie for you. Way to go, Tim Roth. Congratulations. That is Cy Young. He was not only an amazing pitcher, but the award for the amazing pitcher every year is named the Cy Young Award. It's named after him. He actually played one season in St. Louis, so we can take credit for his excellence. <laughs> but what about Green Tree Community Church? Excelling in generosity. What about Green Tree Community Church being exceptional or proficient in the activity of generous giving? The vast majority of United States evangelical churches, and I'm, and I'm going to limit it to evangelical churches. We're part of the evangelical Presbyterian church denomination, so we fall into that category. Uh, the vast majority of those are not excelling in generosity. They would fall into the poor or the mediocre range. The average member in an evangelical church gives not 10%, not the tithe, but 25 percent of their income. And Green Tree is better than that according to our data, but it is not probably where it should be if you think about exceptional, if you think about excellence. So I asked my staff another question this week. I said, okay, let's, let's set excellence aside for a minute and let's think about mediocre. What comes to mind when you think about mediocre? So they gave me some of their answers. <laughs> Just so you know, that, that blue car there uh, if you think Cy Young was a tough one, I, I don't think anybody would get this one. That's a 2012 Hyundai Accent. Uh, if you have the unfortunate uh, experience of owning that car, when it came out, the, the lead above the car was, you know, the, somebody had, had checked it all out, car and driver, whatever, and they were giving their report. Practical, 
but mediocre. <laughs> so you know, oh, I'm going to run right out and buy a mediocre car. None of us want to get mediocre service. None of us want to be in the, in, the, in the checkout line at the grocery store with the mediocre checker. We want to be with the one who's, who's fast as lightning and can get us through and never makes a mistake on how much is charged. We don't want a mediocre baseball team in St. Louis. Now, I, I didn't realize this. Scott Holly told me this week, 2007, which is right after they won the World Series, the Cardinals were under 500 by four games. That's awfully mediocre for St. Louis. We don't like that. And yet we seem to be content to not really wrestle this question to the ground. And in doing so, I believe that we lose the benefit of understanding the joy and the glory that is the gracious generosity of the Lord Jesus and what it means to follow him down that pathway. So this morning, I want us to consider in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, three opportunities for us to grow in generous giving. Consider what it would be like for us individually and corporately to grow in this area. The first that I think this passage says, we're going to look at each of them for just a minute, uh, seeing the opportunity of generous giving. Secondly, then intentionally setting the goal of generous giving. And thirdly, creating a pathway. If, I've, if, I, if I see the opportunity and I want to set the goal, I want to take advantage of it, how do I actually begin to move in that direction? That's what we're going to try to consider from this passage this morning because Paul says in verse 7, as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, and knowledge, and all earnestness, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So let's talk about that uh, in these three observations. The first, seeing the opportunity. Paul says that the, the Macedonian churches uh, were, were impoverished, uh, and yet they over, were overwhelmed with a generous spirit. And they literally were begging Paul and his companions earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they weren't just casually saying, oh, we, we heard about the famine in Jerusalem. Yes, we, you know, we don't have a whole lot, but we'd like to you know, throw a few bucks at it and, and do our little part. They didn't say, you know, we're really extremely poor, although that's how Paul describes them. They said, Paul, you've got to let us help. We see the need, we see the opportunity, don't you dare refuse us. In other words, they were, they were aware, they were informed, they had, they had a growing care and concern for the kingdom of God. I'm afraid that, that too many of us, when we think about uh, our giving to the church, like, yeah, I'm going to give some money to the church, and, and that's about all the thought that I put into it. Think about, yeah, I, I want to invest in the kingdom of God, but I don't necessarily pay attention to the details. So I, I made myself pay attention to the details this week. I made myself go back and do a really careful study of this pledge card, which you uh, were given last week and you have one again this week. And I looked at it very, very carefully. And uh, several things uh, were encouraging to me, a couple things, uh, not quite as much, but I, I forced myself to really be aware of how Green Tree is investing in the kingdom of God. And one thing did jump out at me, and that's in the lower left-hand corner where it says facilities is 18%. Now, don't get me wrong. I am incredibly grateful that we are in this building, and, and we owe uh, $3.8 million. That's not a big mortgage. We are very blessed in, in where we are financially and, and mortgage-wise in this church, but 18% of $3 million is $540,000. Now, if you subtract out of that about the $75,000 that it costs for us to be in the building, just to have the heat on, which is doing really well today, uh, or to have the cooling, have the air conditioning on, the lights on, if you subtract that $75,000, you're still left with almost a half a million dollars that we're just simply paying in a mortgage. 
What if that money were actually going to invest into further ministry in the kingdom of God? What if we had the, the delightful challenge to say, you know, we have 480 plus thousand dollars that God has made available to us. Where are we going to grow God's kingdom? How are we going to move in a way? How are we going to, to organize ourselves in such a way as to expand God's kingdom? The Macedonian Christians saw the opportunity. They understood it and they applied themselves to it. Secondly, setting a goal. If you look at the first three verses in this text, Paul says, I want you to know something and he wants them to know it so that they can respond accordingly. I want you to know about the Macedonian churches. They had a severe test of affliction. They, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty came together and overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Do I desire for generosity to overflow in my life? Is, is one of my goals to, to give beyond and to do so with excitement in my heart and thankfulness in my heart for what God has done for me? Have you ever been around a person that is like, their personality is contagious? Like whatever they're doing, you just kind of want to go along with them and you want to follow them because they're just that kind of person. I had a young man in my uh, student ministry way back in the 1980s at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church whose name was David Bennett. I'm going to tell you a little bit about David Bennett this morning. In sixth grade at his school, Fairland Elementary School in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, the sixth graders, back when, before it was in the middle school, they would do a fundraiser, and they would sell raffle tickets. And every year, they'd come knock on your door, and they'd say, will you buy a couple dollars or five dollars or whatever of raffle tickets? And then all the money they got, uh, somebody got a little prize, they wanted a little TV or something, but then all the money went to the school as a gift from the sixth grade class. So it was a fundraiser. The person that sold the most of those tickets several years earlier was a guy named Monk Robinson. And Monk Robinson had set the record. He had sold somewhere around 275 raffle tickets. So now the sixth grader who sells the most raffle tickets gets the Monk Robinson Award for, for going out and doing a great job. So David is talking to me, and David, is, he's 12 years old, and he says to me, first thing he says, you got to buy some raffle tickets. So I you know, found a couple dollars and gave it to him, and he, and he said, I want to tell you what my goal is. I'm really excited about my goal. I'm like, okay, man, what's your goal? He goes, my goal, I said, your goal is to win the Monk Robinson Award. He goes, no, my goal is to have him change the name of the award <laughs> to the David Bennett Award. Now, that takes some excellence, and excellence takes some planning, and excellence takes some preparation, and excellence takes some hard work. You don't just, you don't just fall into it. And David Bennett sold over 1,100 tickets. And the sixth grader, or I guess his fifth grader now at Fairland Elementary School that sells the most tickets, guess what they're going to win? The David Bennett Award. That's exactly right. He's now also the two-time mayor of Lookout Mountain. He makes his mother call him Mr. Mayor. He's, that's just the kind of guy David is. You just get around him, and you can't help but getting a little bit excited. And Paul says, look at the heart of the Macedonians. It was overflowing. They couldn't wait. They were begging us. Is that the way I look at the opportunity for generous giving? Am I, do I want in to, a, in a positive way, in an excited way, set a goal for myself to invest in the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, Paul says we need to create pathways to generous giving. In verse 5, he says that they were a bit surprised. Uh, this they did, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul says that creating a pathway to generous giving begins with surrender. It begins with saying, this is not my kingdom, it's God's kingdom, my life is not my life. My life belongs to the Lord Jesus. We've sung of that already 
this morning in fine tune and fine voice. I am called not to be the leader. I'm called to be the joyful follower. That my heart and my mind intentionally gives myself to the Lord, first and foremost, above everything else or anyone else. And that allows me, therefore, to invest his kingdom. And I will be honest with you this morning, I give myself to a lot of other things at times when I should be giving myself to the Lord. I can give myself to selfishness without even really giving it very much thought at all. I'm actually very good at that. I can, from time to time, give myself to my fears. Oh, we've got a couple extra expenses this month. Maybe we better hold off just a bit. I'm a little worried about whether we'll make ends meet. I can give myself very quickly to my excuses. Oh, if that hadn't happened, I would have been able to fulfill that promise or that commitment or helped that person. And sometimes, quite frankly, I just give myself to a lack of care. I just turn a blind eye and I walk away so that I don't have to see the need or the pain or the opportunity. There's a lot of things you can give yourselves to instead of giving yourself to the Lord. I'm one here who could testify to that. But when you give yourself to the Lord, you can't help but give yourself to his kingdom because those two go hand in hand. And when you give yourself to the kingdom of God, you give yourself automatically to thoughtfulness. You give yourself to prayer. You give yourself to making choices that actually look through the lens of the gospel in Jesus Christ and are made at the foot of the cross and not separate from it, but as your greatest glory and your greatest joy, and you begin to practice as a person who believes that the cross of Christ was intended for you because you needed God's mercy and God's salvation. And those practices begin to become habits. You just almost stop thinking about them because God has transformed and moved your heart and your mind in such a direction that the pathway is now clear, the direction signs are very simple, and it is not difficult to follow. This is the journey that every disciple of Jesus is on. Are we excited about the opportunity, whether it's beginning today or whether it's growing today, into excelling in this act of grace? If we're going to excel, then we need to follow the most excellent example we can possibly find, which brings us to the verse in chapter 8 that we've spoken of every Sunday, and we'll speak of it one more time this morning. You know the grace of whom? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. There is the most excellent example. There is the most perfect life ever lived and a supreme picture of what generosity means through and through. Or to put it another way, let me ask this question. What was the price that had to be paid for your salvation? How much justice was demanded by the law in payment for my sins? And to follow that up, how much was Jesus willing to give? How much was he willing to invest so that you would not have to suffer the wrath of God and that I wouldn't be held accountable for the sins that I so richly deserve to be held accountable for but could be forgiven by an act of grace and an act of mercy? The net result of Jesus' excellence led him to the cross. It led him to sacrifice and give everything. To suggest, as Paul does, that Jesus became poor is perhaps one of the greatest understatements in the history of the world. 
Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the passage. I'm not criticizing the passage, but I think we lose some of the weight when we just let the word sit there. Jesus became poor. Jesus gave up everything. He experienced abject poverty, not just on a human level, but on a spiritual level. To put on a spiritual level, he went to hell for you and for me. He suffered God's wrath. He gave everything. He gave his perfection in place of my imperfection. Jesus is the most excellent one, and we therefore are eternally rich in his grace. So the question that we need to ask is not necessarily what would it mean for Green Tree Community Church to excel in gracious generosity, but what does it mean for me as his disciple to follow him into gracious generosity? Last week, we had the opportunity to hear from four different folks about different ministries that were going on at Green Tree, uh, because sometimes, you know, when you, when you look at the, the, the pledge card, and in a little while, we're going we're gonna to bring our pledge cards forward at the end of the service, but sometimes when you look at this, it's just kind of numbers and data, and it doesn't really tell the exact story, and so last week, we had uh, Peggy spoke, and uh, Stephen Copeland spoke. We had, we had four folks uh, talk about different aspects of ministry because we kind of wanted to put a face on that. But whenever that happens, we typically sit down as we plan worship and we say, what's kind of the theme of the day and what's the best way to, to go after the theme and encourage the congregation, encourage and worship together you know, around that theme? And we try to plan accordingly. And that almost always means if we're going to tell a story that we have to go recruit somebody. We have to tap one of you on the shoulder and say, you know, I know you have a story about X. Would you be willing to share that with a congregation? And most of you, you know, you don't answer the phone when I call. I know. I know you have my number and you go, nope, not, not talking to him today. Uh, but in this case, today, we're going to have somebody come and share a little bit about their experience and growth when it comes to the, the heart matter uh, of finances, money, but I didn't have to recruit this person. About three weeks ago, Peggy Dimitri sent me an email with an attachment to it. She said, you need to read this attachment because this is pretty incredible. And I read it and I sat in my office and my, you know, my jaw kind of dropped. Uh, and then is very unusual for me. I started crying, um, which, which rarely happens to me. Uh, and, and I was, I was overwhelmed by this journey of grace, by this journey of what God has done in this particular person's life when it comes to this topic. And so then I did call him and say, uh, see you on Sunday the 17th, and thanks for being willing to share. So, Zach, thank you for being willing to share. Would you come on up and talk to us a little bit? Thank you. To be fair, the only reason I did it was so that I wouldn't be asked to teach in the children's ministry. So. <laughs> I've got four of them. Uh, and there you can see him up there. 18 years ago, um, just over 18 years ago, that wonderful woman sitting in the middle with me uh, walked through the doorway to the Bulldog Cafeteria for the first time. Um, before Hannah, Ben, Sarah, and Emily were born, before the gray started coming in my beard, uh, we were in our early 20s, and, um, and we found a home. I'm going to be honest with you, one of the things that I loved most about Green Tree if you would say, what are the top three things? I'm not sure where this would have been, but it would have been in the top three was that we didn't pass the offering plate. Is that I could act like I was busy and walk past the two churches that are still there in the back, like I had to talk to someone. And I didn't feel like Tom had his hands in my wallet. I didn't feel like there was a sense of guilt or that the church needed my money or that God needed my money. And, and it was one of my favorite things. 
And to let you in on some of my own hypocrisy, now I spend every day talking to people Monday through Friday about money. Uh, that's my job. And so God has a sense of humor that in 18 years, one of the things that has happened to me is my favorite topic has become money with a mission. A few, or last week and this morning, Tom handed out this card, or it was in your handout, and it has the numbers for our budget and where that money is being spent. And some of you saw that number in the middle, $3 million, and some of you gasped audibly. I heard you. I was sitting over there. (laughs) How in the world can it be that much, $3 million? And then some of you scoffed and said, only $3 million. How can they serve close to 800 people every Sunday, hundreds of children, do the things we do like the Harvest Party for only $3 million. And then the majority of you were bored. (laughs) Because they're just commas and percentage signs and numbers are boring. But a few years ago, um, those numbers started to become real to me when I started hearing my children's, uh, the way they referred to Green Tree, I started to hear Uh, a change. They weren't going to church, and they weren't going to their dad's church. They started to refer to Green Tree as my church. Uh, I heard my daughter invite uh, a friend. Do you want to go to my church? I'm I'm a recovering son of a pastor, and so, so one of the things that I love to do is every so often, uh, I love to skip church for no good reason, Uh, just because I can. Uh, I love it. Uh, and so, so probably four weeks ago, uh, our whole family had been up late, and, um, and that three-year-old up there, she doesn't do well the next day. And so I'd gotten up for church, and everybody else had stayed asleep, and the house was quiet, and I thought, today's one of those days I'm going to let them sleep. And I got coffee and sat by myself for a while, and then my children started getting up. And one by one, they started to get mad at me because they didn't go to church. And they wanted to go to my church. And so this concept of my church, um, it's become a very big deal for me. It's my community here. We've been going to Green Tree for 18 and a half years, and, and this is my community. It's become, before my family had moved back to St. Louis, this became my family. It's where my friends are. It's where my circle is. It's where I spend uh, my time. It's where my business partner came from. Uh, Green Tree is my church. Not everybody has that same story, but it's become very important to me. And so rather than talk about these, these line items as personal you know, or as budget numbers, I want to I get a little bit more personal about it and introduce you just very briefly to something really cool that's going on behind the scenes. There's a small group of people who are starting to wonder what radical generosity in our church could look like for our community, what, how, how, how Green Tree could impact, uh, could impact Kirkwood and, and the areas around us. And they're starting to try to develop a vision for, for what that impact could be and, and how, that could, um, how that could be such a huge deal for, uh, for God's kingdom. And I was listening to a podcast that tells a story um, much better than I could about being impacted. And, and there was a woman, her name was Danielle Strickland, and she was being interviewed about a situation uh, in which God disturbed her, that God took a hold of her heart 
and then provided her a vision for her own personal mission. And she had invested some time in a woman in her community that ran a brothel. And she said very, very plainly, I'm just going to be this woman's friend. I'm just going to hang out with her, and I'm just going to be her friend because nobody else will. And so over the time, she would take her to coffee or lunch, and over time, they became good friends. And she became so impressed by how well she ran a brothel. And she said to this woman, how is it that this is where you apply your talents? How is it that you are so gifted and so good at these things? How is it that, that this is what you choose to do? And the woman took her uh, to, the, to a back room. She shut the door because she didn't, want, um, she didn't want the other women in the brothel to see her because she was the leader. She was supposed to be the strong one. She told her her story. She said, when I was 11 years old, I left home for the first time forever because I was tired of being abused by my father. And as I walked down the street that very night, a car pulled up and offered me a warm place to stay if I'd spend the night there. So at the age of 11, I turned my first trick. And she said, I wasn't proud. I didn't feel powerful. I didn't get what I wanted. She said, actually, I cried all night long. And I cried all the next night long. And I cried all the next night. And she said, when I finished crying, I just did the best that I could with the cards that I had been dealt. And this is where it got me. And then Danielle talks about the moment that changed her life. This woman looked her in the eyes, and she said to her, where were you when I was 11? I needed someone like you in my life when I was 11. You see, that's what this is. This group that's getting together believes that Green Tree can be the answer to that question in our community. That Green Tree can be the answer to questions like, where were you when I was five and falling behind in school and becoming a statistic? Where were you when I was seven and I was being bullied for being different? Where were you when I was 14 and I was facing pressure for the first time at school and starting to make poor choices? Where were you when my family was being torn apart by violence? Where were you when my parent died? Where were you when my child died? Where were you when I couldn't afford to pay my mortgage? Where were you when I was embarrassed because I couldn't afford to pay groceries for my family? You see, this group that's beginning to meet believes that we have a calling, believes that we haven't begun to discover exactly what it is yet, but we do know that God has very, very plainly asked us to do two things. And that first thing is to love God, and that second thing is to love people. It's in his book. He says it a few times in there, um, and it's plain. Because you see, for me, I want a calling, and how I want it is on a cloudy day like today when I'm walking to my car, I want the clouds to open up. I want a ray of sunshine to fall on me. A dove ascending into heaven would be fantastic. And I want God to say, Zach Wagoner, this is what I have for you. Do it. Or he could say, through a bush that's burning. I've got a bush in my front yard that's been dead for a year, and every spring I hope that green will come back to it. And, and I want it to burn. And I want it to, uh, to, to have a voice come out of it while it was burning but not really burning. And again, say, Zach, this is my perfect will for you. But all the while, like, what he might be doing, instead of talking to me that way, is disturbing me 
So we think that those things are often not good and definitely not God. But I think those disturbing moments where we are asked, where, where were you when I was 11, uh, could be God's calling for our life. If I think about the past 18 years at Green Tree, um, this is where those questions have been answered for me. As I can look around uh, at people that are sitting here today, people that have sat here in the past, and I can say, Mike, you were there for me when I needed someone to remind me who I was and what I was created for. I can say, Jim, you were there for me. Anthony, you were there for me. I can see their faces. Roger and Linda, Ray and Sharon, Joe Potabom, you were there for me when I needed you. You were there for my family. And those stories are still going on right now. Uh, like I said, my children would rather be here. Beth, you were there for my children. You have been there for my children. Dolly started teaching my children Bible verses before they could string sentences together. Uh, you've been there for my children. And that's what Green Tree does. And it takes money. And if you're like me, anytime anyone asks me for money, I become, um, I, bec- I think it's a conspiracy. Uh, I, I don't want to give money. But when I think about the stories that have impacted me and my family, when I think about the questions that Green Tree can be an answer for, when I think about at night cars driving by on Kirkwood Road and looking in and seeing the cross that Tom just mentioned, and I think about them audibly saying, Green Tree, you were there for me. And yes, it takes budgets and line items. It takes money for roof repairs. It takes money to repave parking lots, um, sound equipment, and all the things that maybe make us boring or make me feel boring. But it also takes a disruption to soften my heart. And so that's what we're going to do here in a minute when we talk about the commitment cards. We're not talking about money. We're talking about our heart. We're talking about our impact. It just takes money. And if you're sitting out there this morning and... um, and you're one of those people asking questions, where were you when? Tell somebody. Tell somebody. That's why we're here. And, and if you're saying, but I don't have any money. I'm worried about paying my own mortgage. It's not about money. It's about your heart. It's about mission. And there's plenty to do. You won't be left out. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for the word of the Apostle Paul as he encouraged the Corinthians to follow you in their generosity. He reminded them, yes, of the Macedonians, and and it was a very cool story of people that didn't have a lot uh, and yet yet gave generously. Uh, But ultimately, in that conversation, uh, he pointed them and he points us this morning to the one who gave everything so that we could be born again into new life that never perishes that never fades that never spoils so father we pray for the the mission and the the vision of green tree community church we pray that it would be abundantly clear uh, to our leadership that we would uh, be praying more and more and seeking your face more and more and how to follow you into that some of the things that zach Mentioned this morning about those conversations. Father, we, we do need your direction in all these things. But Father, as we see it, as it becomes clear, 
as we begin to talk about it as a family here at Green Tree, as we begin to uh, put things in motion to, to uh, act on the gospel and what you've done for us, we pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that we would follow you uh, in all things. Um, this morning, Lord, we pray that we would follow you uh, into a gracious generosity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.